you know, the Lord really put this on my heart, and we're going to pray for a lot of people tonight. And it's a scripture in Revelations 12, 11 that says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Yeah, we're going to move this down, guys. Let me say this. Um, when's the last time you shared your testimony with someone that's not saved? Or has Christianity really be, just become a club? Has it really become a pick-me-up on Sunday morning or maybe a revival service like this that comes into town and you just can't wait for the next one to come? And we should be a part of all of them, be in the church on Sunday mornings and midweeks. But, you know, when's the last time you shared your faith outside the four walls of the church? When is, when is the last time you shared your testimony? Who has a testimony? Who could, every one of us that are saved in here could stand up and give some sort of testimony. Who in here got saved in a church? Okay, look around. Who in here got saved outside a church? Well, more got saved outside the church here. Who in here, the Lord has healed you in the past at some time? The Lord has healed you. Who in here, the Lord has filled you with joy? Who in here looked like you were going to die, but the Lord rescued you and you're living today and you should have been taken out? Those are testimonies. Do you know that they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony? Are you sharing the word of your testimony? It is very important. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I wasn't raised in church. Um, my name is Eric, for those that are new here. And I've been with Pastor Ronnie 12 years. I've been to 25 countries of the world with him. I have the privilege of actually preaching and ministering with him almost every week. Me and my wife have even went and held very large revivals around the world for him in his place. We don't think we're anything. We give Jesus all the praise and glory. We run pretty much. We're the crusade directors also handle the, the evangelism side of the ministry and lots of other things. We're also pastors at some of, one of the associate pastors at the church, Pastor Ronnie's church back in Tampa. And it's just a privilege and an honor to do what we do, to see people's lives changed forever. Can you say amen? amen. And, but I never wanted to be in the ministry. I actually, I know some people think they were born saved, but it doesn't work like that. Amen. <laughs> And I got, here's what happened to me. By the time I was 16 years old, I wasn't, my mom and dad were awesome people. They taught me what was right and wrong. My dad always taught me, hey, your boy, your hand, your handshake's your word. Your, your yes is yes and your no is no. Work hard. My dad taught me a lot of great things, but I never went to church. I mean, I did go to church, I think. I remember one time I got invited to church because they were giving a free ornament off the tree on Sunday. And uh, I went to church for that. You know, so I mean, that's about it. You know, I didn't go to church and I wish I would have, but I didn't. Hey, so maybe when you hear me talk, I come from a totally different perspective of things. Pastor Rodney saved five years old, filled with the Holy Ghost at eight. Pastor Gill and him and the whole family, mom and dad, all night prayer meetings, bringing people off the streets, getting them filled with the Holy Ghost, saturation meetings in their house, at church every time the doors open. I mean, that's the testimony. And I remember Pastor Ronnie going to the Lord one time and saying, Lord, I don't have a testimony. He goes, I never backslid. I never got on drugs, shot anybody, was in prison for four years. Because, you know, usually people come in and give a testimony like that. Everybody's crying and it's so phenomenal. And, and uh, you know, but Pastor Ronnie felt, man, I don't have a testimony. I never did any of those things. And the Lord said, you do have a testimony of my saving and keeping power. 
We don't have to backslide or go the ways of the world to have a testimony. That's a testimony in itself, a phenomenon. That's the best testimony. But by the time I was 16, I was drinking a case of beer a day. I'd be the first one to tell you I didn't have an alcohol problem. You know, it's always amazing, you know, drinking a case of beer a day. You wake up in the morning, first thing you do is go get a beer. Hey, you got a problem. Someone said I had an alcohol problem. I said, man, I ain't got an alcohol problem. How many of you know I had an alcohol problem? Absolutely. So I was searching for Jesus in all the wrong places. I wanted the peace that passes all understanding. So by the time I turned 17, my dad was a pretty tough guy, and he said, boy, my way or the highway. I thought the highway looked better. You know how many people know when you're a teenager, you actually become smarter than your parents for about 10 years. And then about when you hit about 10 years, 15 years later, you realize your parents were actually right. But, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, hey, my parents don't understand anything. And that's how I was. So I joined the Navy. I am, listen, you cut me all bleed red, white, and blue. I believe we live in the greatest country on the face of the planet. I wouldn't live anywhere else but the United States of America, regardless of the troubles and all this other stuff. This is the greatest country on planet Earth right here. Amen? But I went in the military not because... I was very, even though I am patriotic, I didn't go in to serve my country. I went in because they gave me room and board and they fed me and gave me a paycheck. That's why I went in the military. And I had to get my dad to sign for me because I wasn't 18 and he had no problem signing for me. <laughs> he thought it would be a really, really good thing for me to go in the military, amen? And uh, so I went in the Navy, actually it got worse because I spent three years on a boat in the Indian Ocean. I mean, I, when I talked, and I'm sorry to say this, Every fourth or fifth word was blinkety-blank, blinkety-blank. I really even went really a lot further in the wrong direction, but God. Do you know, that's why you never can rule, you can write anybody off. You can never write anybody off in your family. You can never write anybody off that you feel there's just no way you can reach this person. Jesus has a way to reach those people. And anyways, I got, I, my time came up. I made $11,500 a year. I still remember it uh, in the Navy. But I was a jet engine mechanic, so I worked on the, the fantail on the back of the boat. I literally worked 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. There was no Sundays off. There was no, hey, it's Veterans Day. Let's take a break. There was, I worked very hard in the military. How many people were in the armed forces? Let's give them a great God bless you. This is phenomenal. Awesome. And so in the military, um, I worked very hard seven days a week and worked very hard on a carrier. They didn't even have air condition on the back of the thing. I can't even believe it. And um, no cell phone at that time, no emails, 5,500 guys out to sea, no contact with anybody. And um, anyways, what happened was when it came time for my three years to be up, so that's three years active, two years reserve, I was getting out, man. I wanted out of that thing. I said, man, if I'm going to work this hard, I'm going to make some money. If I'm going to work this hard, I think I should get a little bit more money. So anyways, I got out of the service because I had a guaranteed government job. I'm going somewhere with this. It's going to help people. And I got a guaranteed government job. I just didn't understand government jobs were all about seniority and like the last one hired is the first one to get fired type of thing. So I got out of the Navy. My mom is begging me, oh, so don't do it, don't do it, you know, because she's afraid, you know, I'd starve, you know. So I get out of the military, have this guaranteed job. Two weeks before I start, they laid me off. 
I mean, I had my job, application, everything, I'm hired. Well, my start date was coming up. I'm out of the military, all done, done. And sure enough, they had a, they had a layoff and I got laid off. So I never even started one day and was laid off. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom, and she's, I told you, you know, and I'm like, oh gosh. So what did I do? I took a job in sales. Someone said, why? Well, sales is what you do till you get a real job. <laughs> so I was looking for a real job, amen? And I took a job selling vacuum cleaners. Believe it or not, I, trying to clean the world up one house at a time, you know? My mom, I'll never forget my mom saying to me, boy, you're gonna starve. And then she says, the only thing worse than a used car salesman's a vacuum salesman, son. I'm like, hey mom, it's really a good one. I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna do it till I get a real job. So I took this job selling vacuum cleaners. Thank God it was a good company, an honest company. I know there's a lot of weird stuff out there, but it was actually a good company, good product. What I didn't know was by the time I was 22, my very first year in business that I'd make $101,000. My very first year in business, the only problem was I was pretty stupid because I, I, I immediately started buying a lot of things, getting all the things that money could buy. I was going the wrong way. I was in nightclubs every night, ladies' night every night of the week. Then I had all the leeches join on with me because when you make a lot of money, man, you get a lot of friends. Not really friends, but they really love you. Man, you're the best. Can I borrow your car? You're the best. Give me another drink. You know, so I had all of these people following me around, and I was supporting all of them. True. Little did I know when I went down to the tax guy to file my taxes because I was a self-employed person, he, I fill them out. I, I was in the Navy. They took all my taxes out. I didn't even know nothing about no paying no taxes. He goes, okay, you owe $40,000. I said, $40,000 for what? He goes, you made $101,000. You owe the government $40,000. I thought maybe $1,000 or $1,200 or something. You know, $40,000. Well, how many people know I spent all the money? I didn't have no $40,000. I spent every penny I got. So I had to go on this payment repayment thing with the government for like two years. And I had to pay them back, and I did pay them back, thank God. But what I'm trying to say is I started climbing the corporate ladder. So now not only did I have alcohol and booze and ladies and relationships, I would get a girlfriend and be happy for like a month, but then I'd need another one. I would drink this certain alcohol, and then I'd have to switch to another one. And actually, I was trying to fill a void in my heart that only Jesus could fill. Now I already see people looking at me kind of weird. You know, listen... You, you, you know, we don't become like the world, but we have to understand the world to reach the world. Amen? You know what religion does? Religion sticks their nose up and says, look at that girl on the street corner. Gosh, Lord save her. Show up, 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 up. You know, and the Lord would have you come up and witness to her, get her, get her saved, help her, but no, Jesus, oh, Jesus. You know, it's like if you get close to someone like that, you're going to get infected or something. That's what religion does. What about the lady that had five husbands? Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. The woman of Samaria, she went and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. All of Samaria heard the gospel because of a woman that had five husbands and was living with somebody. Who would have ever picked her? There ain't nobody in the church would have picked that girl. Jesus did. You see, we got to change the way we think about things. It's very important if we're going to reach a lost and dying world. So anyways, I was looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Then I got tied up in what's called corporate America. 
Then I really got successful, learned how to make money. I had six locations, six businesses, lots of salespeople, learned how the whole deal worked. And the Lord was blessing me even though I didn't know the Lord. The Lord was actually teaching me a lot of things. And I remember one day, and I'm sorry to say this, I was so caught up in the world system, I'd go up to somebody hey, you know, that I knew was successful. Hey, how you doing? where are you living at now, man? I didn't give a rip where he lived. I just wanted to make sure he didn't live in a better neighborhood than me. How you doing, man? Is that a Rolex, I think, clicking or sweeping? Let me check that out. That's clicking or sweeping. Oh, that's sweeping. That's a nice one. That's, that's a two-tone model right there. That's nice. Praise God. Yeah, I got me one. This is 2000. And, you know, it's, it's all about image. You'll know a man by his shoes. You got the alligators or the lizards on. You know, I know the whole deal. You pull out a credit card, you got to have platinum. Gold ain't in no more. You know what I'm saying? You got to have the platinum. Now, say somebody looking at me kind of wild. And you say, oh, that's the world system. It works exactly the same in the church. Everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses, but the Joneses went bankrupt. (laughs) But anyways, let me get back on track here. (laughs) And I was trying to find Jesus in possessions, money, things, girlfriends, alcohol, everything. And... um, I'll never forget, one day a businessman came up to me. He's the most successful businessman I ever knew in my life. He lived in the biggest house i ever seen in my life. And he goes, Eric, I like you. And I thought, oh, the jefe likes me. The big man likes me. This has got to be good. I said, oh, yes, sir, I like you too. I thought he's going to teach me how to make some more money. He said, listen, I'd like to have a special meeting with you. I said, oh, yes, sir, I'm there. Oh, yes, sir, what time? He goes, oh, in such and such time, I show up at his office. He says, Eric, come on in, have a seat. I'm like, praise God. I'm, I didn't say pray. I got the Christianese now. I wasn't saying praise God. I, I say it now, but back then, I didn't know praise God. I was thinking money, honey, bread, Fred, dojo. I was thinking a little differently, you know. So I go into his office, and I sit down. He goes, man, I've been watching you. I like you. I said, oh, yes, sir, I like you too. I, you're successful. I like that house you got, you know. And he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, oh, yes, sir. He said, if... You would have died today. Do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I thought to myself, I I put my poker face on something like this. I went, hmm. I was not thinking about that question. I was thinking, how's it going to make me some money? How am I going to get some money out of this deal? I mean, that's the first thing that came to my head. I wasn't thinking about no. So then I figured, I got to answer the guy. So I said, uh, I said, yeah, actually, I do believe I'd go to heaven. And he said, oh, really? Why would you say that? And Listen, this is the truth. Even though I was drinking and womanizing and partying and all that, I wasn't a liar. I ran a good, honest business. I I really tried to take care of people. So I really felt I was a good person, even though I was doing those things wrong. And I even said to him, I said, listen, I really believe I'd go to heaven. He said, why? I said, I really feel I'm a good person. I treat people good, you know? I said, if a little old lady needed help across the street, I would be the first one to run out and grab her arm and help her. I I really would. And then I said, plus, I'm, I'm not stingy i'm generous he goes what do you mean you're generous i said man when i go to the bar i buy all the drinks nobody buys nothing and he's like (laughs) you know what's amazing is this guy didn't pull a hair out of his head get his holy ghost bic lighter out light that baby on fire and say you smell that boy you're gonna burn baby burn you're going to hell you're going straight to hell 
He didn't do that because the Bible says the goodness of God leads, people, leads us to repentance or the love of God leads people to repentance. He didn't hang me over the flames and tell me that the devil's going to stick me with a pitchfork. He just said, okay, just think about what I've said. The only problem was I was in his office a week later and he said, Eric, I like you. And I said, I've heard that before. <laughs> and uh, he calls me in his office. He slips me a track, a track, one of those chick tracks, you know. And he goes, I need you to just read this, and when you get done, I want to talk to you. I had to sit in his office and read the whole track. So I sat there, went through the whole track, get to the end. It's got the sinner's prayer. He says, Eric, would you like to say that prayer? And I thought, no, thank you, sir. I'm sorry to tell you, I didn't do it. I said, sir, thank you so much. I appreciate you concerned about me, but no, thank you. Now, listen to this. This is the amazing thing. Not one year, not two years, not three years, not four years, but for five years, that man never stopped witnessing to me. He never stopped sharing the love of God with me. This guy was a diehard Southern Baptist. He believed if you did not have calluses on your knuckles from knocking on doors once a week, you were barely saved. And, you know, someone says, well, what is that? Somebody that does something like that, what, what would you call that? I call that a friend. A friend cares about a friend's eternal destination. A friend really cares. And a friend is going to compel them to come in. They're not going to just say, oh, you, like, you don't want to hear nothing about religion. Okay, well, I tried, Lord. I tried, Lord. Give me a break. This, and now, I, you see how thick-headed I was, how stubborn I was for five years not to accept the Lord? But the Lord put somebody in my path. You know, I remember many years later after that, I was in my house, all by myself, no calamity, no tragedy had happened to me. And I really, I could never get away from those words he shared with me. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And I got down on my knees and I messed the whole prayer up bad. I just said, Jesus, I'm a loser. Forgive me. I'm an idiot. You know, come in my heart. I mean, it was something, but the come in my heart was there. Immediately, the Lord came, and I had a peace that passes all understanding. And I felt totally different. I felt like a weight lifted. I got saved. I got born again. Immediately, that void in my heart that I was trying to fill with alcohol and drugs and money and girls and possessions, immediately that void was filled. Immediately, I got, when I got saved, I got up. I felt like a new person. I felt like a totally different person. I immediately got the Bible on tape because I knew, hey, I need to read the Bible, right? I could never understand the Bible before. I'd read it a couple times. It's like, man, I don't even know how anybody can understand this stuff. But immediately, the Bible became alive to me. No preacher there, no church, nobody said, read the book of John. None of that stuff for me. That's why when we win souls and people call upon the name of the Lord, if they don't immediately find themselves in a local church, we know the Holy Spirit is, is there. And the Holy Spirit is following people up, even though we do everything in our power. But the Holy Spirit. So I got so hungry, I started listening to the Bible on tape. And I remember going into a parking lot one day, and I see a guy, I see somebody, he has a fish on the back of his car. I'm like, I, I get out of my car, run up to him. Hey, you a Christian? He's like, oh, you know, he's like, uh, yeah. I said, me too, man. Praise God, Jesus, you know. I'm having like revival in the parking lot, you know. He thinks, man, I don't know what's up with this guy, you know. And, and then I start talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's like, man, 
How long have you been saved? You really know the word. I said, a week. Praise God, a week, man, a week. I was just so hungry. That was before I knew the fish turns into a shark. I didn't know nothing about no shark or piranha stuff in the church. I didn't know. I thought everybody's Christian. They just love everybody. Everybody's happy. And I didn't even know nothing about religion, tradition, nothing. I just love Jesus. And then started, I, I, I Jesus, I uh, met a girl and um, fell in love with her. And her name is Jennifer, and that's who my wife is, of course, for the last 17 years. But I met her and fell in love with her. She's a church organist in a Lutheran church. She played the big pipe organs, the huge pipe organs, all the sunrise services, very traditional Lutheran churches with those huge organs, you know, all the pedals. She'd take her shoes off, put special socks on, and all those pedals and stuff, I don't know, all these levels and all this stuff, and she'd play. And so I started going to church with her because I fell in love with her. And we started dating, and I'd go to church with her. And then I asked her to marry me, and she said, yes, and now I speak. Now I'm bilingual. You know, I speak Christianese. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, because when you're not saved, you only usually speak one language, but when you get saved, you're actually bilingual. You speak English and Christianese. <laughs> See, because Christians have a, their own language. It's like a preacher going through the drive-thru. You know, yes, can I take your order? Yes, praise God. Give me two cheeseburgers and bless the Lord. Praise his name. I'll take me, give me some of those golden fries and supersize it. Praise God. You know, a whole different way you talk, you understand. Or here, how's this? How you doing? Bless, bless, bless coming in, bless going out. Come on, talk to me now. Above and not, come on, not beneath. Talk to me now. Nice hat, nice shoes, what's up, what's going on, you know. Too blessed to be stressed, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, the whole Christian way you talk, it's a whole different way. You know, so of course I've learned a different language, Christianese, you know, so. But I asked her to marry me, she says, hallelujah, listen, man, I'm so happy. I mean, I was saved, I met the love of my life, we're engaged, 30 days before we get married, we go about, about two months before we get married, I'm from South Florida. I was in West Palm. My wife is from Hialeah, Miami area. We, uh, my wife was very successful in her own right, doing very well. So we, we just fell in love, went down and got a blood test before we got married. Well, two weeks later, we went in to get the results back. See, I didn't even know. I thought you got to get a blood test to get married. I didn't even know how things work. You know, I've just always heard that. I don't even know if it's like that now. I mean, that's just what we did. Some states it is. So she goes in and gets her results. We're playing, and we already got the invitations out, and she goes in and gets her results. No problem. I go in, big problem. What do you do when you go in and the doctor's nervous? I'm just going to throw this out for free. When the doctor's nervous, you get nervous. I mean, he's fidgeting around his desk and stuff, and this is about, seven, this is about 17 years ago. And, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is not good. And he's fidgeting around and he says, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're HIV positive. What do you do when there's no shot or pill? What do you do when there's no hope? And at that time, I didn't know a lot about AIDS, so I said, well, what can I take? Give me a shot, give me a pill. True story. He goes, look, buddy, 
I don't really know what to tell you other than open the yellow pages. I'm sure there's some counselor or some agency that can help you. That's exactly what happened to me. Someone said, what did you do as a new Christian, man of faith and power for the hour? I cried like a baby. I cried. Man, I cried uncontrollably because here I am about to get married in a month. I mean, what do I do? She's not HIV positive, so I go out. I'm crying my eyes out. She goes, what, what's going on? I said, man, I'm HIV positive. The wedding's off. Because I didn't want to kill her. I loved her. What if I infected her and she died? I mean, how could I deal with something like that? So I call the wedding off. Three days later, she comes to me. And she says, honey, I never really felt I'd fall in love. She goes, I really never thought I'd get married. She goes, I'd rather marry you and die than not marry you. The wedding's on. My mom is a country lady from Alabama. My mom said, boy... That's a good woman. You better hold on to this one. I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm holding on to this one. And, you know, we got married. And we got married. 17 years ago, if you sneezed and were HIV positive, you'd clear the room. It's not much different today. And I know what some of you guys are thinking. I shook his hand. But everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I started going through T-cell counts, viral loads, all this. Then I went to counseling, not Christian counseling, just counseling. I was only saved a few months at the time and telling me to wash my counters down with bleach and telling me all this crazy stuff. Then this guy's eating an apple. I'll never forget, I'm in this counseling session my whole life, and you tell nobody. My parents, her parents, and our priest, that's it. And I'm still running a sales company, and in sales, you got to be positive. You can't walk in as the guy, you know, hey, how y'all doing? Sell something. You know, I mean, you got to be pumped up, you know. Boy, your attitude determines your altitude. Attitude check. Great. You know, okay, anyways, having a flashback. But, I mean, you got you, you to be positive because sales is a big beat down rejection type of thing. So you got to keep people positive. So I'm trying to be positive. My brain is, is going crazy here. That's why earlier in one of the services I said the devil's a hope thief because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Where the devil comes, especially in a situation like this, is he tries to rob you of any hope. And if the devil is successful to rob you of hope and you become hopeless, you become faithless. And the only way to please God is by faith. That's why you can never allow hope to be stolen from you. That's how people get suicidal. That's how people lose it. You, we, our hope and our trust is in Jesus. It's in the Word, and the Word is true, and it never comes back void. Don't ever allow yourself to be there. And this guy's eating an apple, and I'll never forget. He's, like, doing his job, and he's yawning. Oh, it's late night. He bites this apple, right? And then he looks me in my eye and goes, Hey, you ever thought about, you know, whether you want to be cremated or buried? I'm like... I'm like, hello, I'm still standing here. I'm still alive. You're talking about my life. And hey, buddy, I actually still have feelings. I wanted to give him the five-fold ministry, <laughs> fast and hard. Someone said, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, I'm not Jesus, and I was a new Christian. I mean, I wanted to wring the guy by the neck. It's like, hey, buddy, what's wrong with you, man? So anyway... Anyways, I go to, I start going to church with my wife in the Lutheran church, you know, and 
met with the priest and, you know, everything and just going through my walk, you know, going through just... Um, and then one day I go to church, to the Lutheran Church in Miami, Florida, and I walk in the door and the priest, for some reason that day, and I'm sorry, I don't know why, the priest comes out and he's dressed totally different. Instead of having, you know, slacks on and the back-to-four collar and all that stuff, he comes out wearing this robe thing. I mean, to me, it looked like a dress, you know? They call him Father Dressed Like Mother. I don't know. So he's got this big old robe thing happening on, and I'm like, hey, you know, the guy's wearing a dress. I don't know what to say, you know? I'm in church just minding my own business, you know? And then in that church, everything is sung. So would the ushers come down the row, you know, and the little boy lights all these candles, you know? So I'm sitting there and lighting all these candles, little smoke thing happening. My wife plays liturgy. So the, you know, the, the priest does something and do, 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 and the whole thing. So I'm sitting there going, wow, this is a little weird, you know, but hey, I'm a Christian. This is how, what Christians do, you know? So then he gets the lady to come up and read the scripture of the day. I mean, they, nobody carried their Bibles. I was the only person carrying a Bible because when I called my friend that witnessed to me for five years, he said, you've got to carry your Bible to church. And you can only have the King James Version. Don't you ever get anything out. Anyway. So he was trying to train me up real quick, you know. So <laughs> It's the only authorized version of the Bible. And... Uh, well, anyways, he opens it. Uh, she opens it. She doesn't open her Bible. She, turns, she has a piece of paper, and she gets up and reads the scripture of the day. And this is the scripture of the day. Is any sick among you? Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you've committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. This is the scripture. I said, oh my goodness. I did not have a clue Jesus could heal. I only knew Jesus could save Listen, I didn't know. So all of a sudden he says, anybody that is sick, just come on up and we're going to pray for you. Now this isn't a charismatic service. It ain't anything like what you are used to. It was just a, you know. So, so he comes out and, he bring, and he's got this cross on. And I'll never forget it because the cross was like a six inch cross. It wasn't a little teeny little cross. I mean, you talk about bling bling in it. This guy has got this big old cross on. I'm like, oh my gosh, the guy's wearing a dress. He's got this six inch cross. And then the only time I had ever seen a cross like that was like in a vampire movie, you know? <laughs> so I was like, in the name of Jesus, you know, I mean, with a cross out like this, I don't know what's going on, you know? I mean, big old cross, the whole thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I go up and I stand at attention. I remember because I was in the military, I was, I was really kind of nervous, you know? This whole thing, smoke, candles, all this. I'm like, hey, okay. So I'm standing there, and I'm standing at attention. I'm actually holding on the side of my pants. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? And, and there's a lot of people that came up. And, and the priest took this little thing of oil. Now, I didn't know oil represented the Holy Ghost. I thought oil's what you put in your car every 3,000 miles. I, I didn't know nothing about no oil, Holy Ghost, nothing. All I knew is this guy took some oil. And he comes to me and he puts a little dab on his finger. And I remember he goes, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
And he put a cross of oil on my forehead. He made a cross on my forehead. When he put the cross of oil on my forehead, the oil was burning hot. And I remember thinking to myself, the first thing I was thinking, was that choir boy probably nuked it too long in the microwave. I'm going to wring his neck. I'm going to wring his neck. I mean, they nuked this stuff too long. They didn't even check the temperature before they brought it out. And then I start thinking, oh my goodness, I just became a member of the church. They just branded me like a cow. Oh, First Lutheran, me too, man. Yeah, I go there too. I don't know. I get these crazy thoughts going through my head. I didn't fall down, shake, bake, or quake, or any of that, but I was standing there kind of scared and figured I just got branded, you know? And then a little drop of oil starts rolling down and gets on the edge of my nose. It was itching, man. I was, I was going like this. And then I remember thinking, if you touch the oil, it nullifies the prayer. You know, I don't know. I'm thinking, man, if you touch the oil, the prayer doesn't work. So I'm like, you know, holding on. I wanted to dive into the carpet to rub my face, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how you think about things when you're not raised in church. Now, to others, that's just a way of life, and they're used to all that. To me, if you're from that Anglican and that type of background, I mean no disrespect. It's just I don't understand all this stuff because I've never been in it, you know? So now, anyways, it's over. I didn't fall down, shake, bake, or quake, okay? But I did feel like a peace that passes all understanding. I felt different. Now, I wasn't having blotches on me and was down to nothing. I mean, I was HIV positive, so I, I wouldn't have known a difference by a spot going away or something, but I felt inside something happened. And I remember going back to my seat, and my, my wife said, well, what's going on, honey? I said, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. I said, I feel like a piece for some reason. I don't know what it is, but I feel different. She goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, I got a T-cell count coming up next week. I'm going to go tell my doctor. So I go into the doctor's office, <clears throat> And I said, Doc, do you think I could get another AIDS test? And he said, why? I said, oh, the priest, the robe, the cross, the oil was hot. You know, I go through the whole thing. He's like, el loco, crazy man, you know. <clears throat> He's like, come on, man, give me, give, give me, get real. <clears throat> I said, no, man, I'm telling you, this happened to me. So he thinks I'm a nut. And uh, so he gives me another AIDS test. <clears throat> so it takes two weeks to get the results back. I remember going into his office two weeks later, and I go in and I said, okay, what's up, doc? And he says, uh, he says, why don't you have a seat? And I said, no, I'll stand if it's okay with you. And I stand. And he said, this is the darndest thing I ever seen. I said, talk to me. <laughs> he says, this test shows you're not HIV, neg- you're not HIV positive. You're HIV negative. Hallelujah. 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 HIV negative. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Somebody said, what did you do? What did you do? I thank you, Jesus! I thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! I fell to my knees and started praising him. Listen, religion could have never saved me. Tradition could have never reached me. A Christian with a Bible big enough to choke a moose that told me I was a loser never would have saved me. But I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords is my Savior, my Redeemer, my life, my glory, my living well. Hallelujah. Somebody's sitting in here saying, well, Brother Eric, you don't understand. I'm facing an impossible situation. My Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Hallelujah. Well, Brother Eric, I feel defeated. I feel trotted down. I feel conquered. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthened you. So if you don't believe in healing, you come too, too, you come too late. Hallelujah. Someone said, what did you do after I got off on my knees? Because the guy's really losing it. He's like, hey, buddy, chill out, man, chill out. I'm like, listen, I know what it's like to be dead and now alive. I know what it's like to be lost and now found. I grabbed me a nurse. I push the door open. I see this nurse. She looks at me. She knew she's in trouble. I grabbed her by the arm. I started dancing with her. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. She loses it. She's not a believer. She's like, oh my gosh, get this guy away from me, you know? So it didn't bother me. I grabbed me another one. And I grabbed that nurse and I started dancing with her. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. She's a believer. She starts yelling louder at me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. And we had ourselves a revival going on in that doctor's office over there. Man, we were dancing, having a good old time. I'll tell you, that doctor's office turned into a church. But then two guys came and asked if I would please go to a back room with them. So I, I went to the back room with them, and um, they're like, hey, man, what is wrong with you? You know, I said, man, I was HIV positive. A death, you know, a death sentence on my life, and now I'm free, man. I am free. I'm free at last. Amen. And I said, and now I got bold. I said, right here, right now, buddy, give me another AIDS test. He had no problem giving me an AIDS test. Two weeks later, HIV negative. I said, give me another one. Two weeks later, HIV negative. I said, give me a third one. Two weeks later, HIV negative. 17 years. I'm not just have a high T-cell count. I don't have a trace of AIDS, the HIV virus at all in my body. I serve a God that heals. <clears throat> I serve a God that saves. <laughs> so I didn't get saved your traditional way. I, nothing happened traditionally with me. You know, and to be honest with you, usually whenever I share, and I've had the privilege of sharing my testimony in 25 countries of the world, you ought to see when I shared it in Africa. 40% have AIDS. Pastor Rodney had me share it in Soweto, Umlazi, Umnitsani, and Mamalodi. And I'll tell you what, the testimonies, people were so encouraged because people don't understand when you have AIDS, oh my gosh, it is, it is so terrible. It is, I mean, what do you do when you have a secret you can't tell anybody? When you have such a, a secret that you have to hold to yourself and, and 
how do your mind deal with that? I mean, you know, we can quote all the scriptures, but, you know, the devil is really, I learned at that time the devil's a hope thief because everything came against me trying to get me to, you know, like, like, gosh, God, why, why in the world did you, you know, and I did think like this because I was a new Christian. I was thinking, well, God, this is a really whacked out way to, to, to deal with me. I mean, here I am. You go after me my whole life. I'm this retrobate heathen. And I finally give my heart to the Lord. And then a few months later, I'm HIV positive. I mean, what's up, God? I don't think that's right. And that's how I was talking to him because I didn't even know the word. I didn't know nothing about the word. But God, God had a different plan. Amen. Let me just say this to everybody in here, especially the young people. I probably shouldn't even say that to everybody. There's a a scripture that says, the wages of sin is death. And we know the rest of it is but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are consequences to sin. If you rob a bank and immediately repent from your heart and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I should have never robbed that bank. God will forgive you, but you're going to jail. Now, your job would be to win the whole prison to Jesus, but you're going to jail. So what I'm trying to say is even though God can forgive you, there are consequences to sin. And because of my lifestyle that I had of drinking and partying and womanizing, and you know, there's another scripture that says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And it is. I mean, you think you got the whole world by the tail. You're out drinking, everything seems to be going right. You got all these girlfriends, you're doing all this, you're making all this money. You seem to just have be running the whole world. And I can tell you firsthand the way the devil operates. The devil gets in close. He becomes your best buddy. Is the greatest thing that you think ever happened to you in your life. Everything's going great, so it seems. He gets you in so close, and then he pulls the rug out from underneath you and jumps on your face and beats you like a beats you to a pulp. That is how the devil operates. And I hate the loser devil. Amen. The devil's a loser, and that's how the enemy operates. But I thank God I serve a God that saves, that heals, that sets free, that delivers. I don't, religion, I hate religion. I hate tradition. It couldn't do anything for me. I remember one time I had a guy, probably the only time when I wasn't saved, and I think it's because my boss sent him, because he was in the business. He sent him to talk to me. This guy came on there for you, had this big Bible. Must have been a Thompson chain, you know, had little sticky notes in it everywhere. And this guy, man, listen, you know, you know, as a non-Christian at that time, And this is truth, people. I hate to tell you this. Unbelievers think Christians are people that tell them how to live their life, but don't live it themselves. Hypocrites. All hypocrites. Now, we know that all Christians are not hypocrites. We know that there's a few that do terrible things and make things, you know, maybe 50%. And uh, (laughs) now someone says, why? Well, there's five wise and five foolish virgins. I mean, that could be dealing with the church. They didn't have enough oil to make it through the midnight out. But anyways, let me just not preach that message. But what I mean is a lot of people try to tell people how to live their life, but don't live it themselves. You're the only Bible people are going to read. And that's what you have to understand. Ain't no one can tell a Christian how to live their life better than a non-Christian. And that'll make your blood boil. But I usually stop my testimony there. And I'm going to pray for some people tonight. But I just want to say this. I didn't share my healing with anybody except my parents and my priests for several years because the stigma of that was so strong that I didn't even want anybody to think, well, 
how did he get it or maybe he still got it. Even though God did a great miracle in my life, it took a while for the Lord to even get me to a place that I could even share it. And then what happened to me was so supernatural. We started looking for a church. We went to different churches because my wife, I felt we needed to stay closer to home. And we started looking in West Palm Beach where I was from. And every Sunday we went to First Baptist, First Methodist, Lutheran. We just started going every Sunday. We said, we'll go to church. And I guess when we feel like one's good, we'll, we'll go there. So we kept going to all these churches for months. Never could find a church that we felt good about or in our heart. And then one day we sold a vacuum cleaner to one guy and I was saying, hey, welcome to the you know, so-and-so family. And he says, oh, okay, praise the Lord. And when he did that little buzzword, Christianese, I said, hey, are you a Christian? He goes, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, man. He goes, you are? I said, praise God, you know? And so we start talking on the phone. He goes, where do you go to church? I said, I'm looking for a church. He goes, well, why don't you come to my church? I said, I'll be there. Where do you go to church? And it's a little church of a couple hundred people is a word of faith church, is a word church. And, he, and I went to that church, and man, the minute I walked in, all these people had their hands up. I had never seen no one lift their hands in church. I mean, in the, in, the, in the Anglican church, if somebody opens a candy, it takes like seven minutes. Real slow, because it echoes through the place. And you got to open it real slow, you know, because people start looking at you, you know, and, and they're not mad at you because you're opening the candy. They're mad because you didn't bring candy for them. And so, so, I mean, so anyways, I see all these people raising their hands. I thought, oh my, this is, a, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't see anybody ever raise their hands. Fast music? I couldn't believe it, right? And anyways, I felt a peace in my heart, and we started going there. And then we got baptized in the Holy Ghost there. We, and it's just a long story, but I just want to say this. I learned about tithing and giving through the Word of God. I didn't tithe or give nothing. You know, before, I, uh, you know, I didn't even really know, to be honest with you. When I started tithing, within 90 days, my business tripled. So God started showing me something. My business started prospering. I started giving. I started putting ourselves in sales contests for, to, hey, if we sell X amount, I'm going to give this to this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, and this ministry. It became a game to us because we were like contests oriented from the line, line of work we were in. And so we put ourselves in contest. It was a big game, me and my wife working hard. And, and then, man, we sell this, we'll do this. And it was, became a lifestyle, became a fun lifestyle. Now, little did I know that the Lord would call us into full-time ministry. And I want to talk about covetousness and greed. I lived it, man. I wanted what everybody else had. I see someone driving a better car than me. I wanted it, baby, and I could get it. I work hard. I get that car. Suits, $1,000 suits, Rolexes, everything, rings, bracelets. I had it all, man. I worked hard. Came to a point where I lived in a country clubhouse where people land their planes and pull it into their garage. I had five cars because, you know, one car gets really boring. You know, you got to have a couple different vehicles. And I had five cars. I drove a Porsche, and we did well. You know, we were living very, very well. But I did love the Lord. Listen, and this is the part I want to talk about. I did actually love the Lord with all my heart. I did tithe to my local church, and I gave offerings. But I still had a spirit of covetousness on me, and I still had a spirit of greed on me as a believer. And I had a spirit of many other things on me. 
And the Lord started dealing with me in the area of giving and to lose things. And I did start to break free open in it. But listen to this. I remember I had, does anybody like old cars in here, like muscle cars? Any guys in here like, well, any ladies? I'm sure there's ladies. Now me, if you don't know what a muscle car is, I don't have time to talk about it. But I had a 1972 442 W30. It's an Oldsmobile. It's a, it's a Ram Air hood, big W35 spoiler. I mean, it was 455 rocket engine, balanced blue. I mean, it was a good, sweet little car. And I think, blah, 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 blah. You know, when you drove it, you know, it just barked like that. It was just great. I mean, if you don't understand that, I don't know what to say. But I grew up around fast cars. And, and I had that car, and it was in mint condition. It was white with gold stripes. I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And, uh, and I remember one day the Lord put it on my heart to give it away. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I tell you what, it wasn't even how much it cost. It had nothing to do with the money. I was like, oh, gosh. And then the first thing, devil, get behind me in Jesus' name. I mean, I was rebuking everything. And I was justifying it in my head. Why would the Lord, why did the Lord don't want no car like that? I mean, what does he want with a car like that? You know, the thing didn't even have AC because, you know, muscle cars shouldn't. But anyways, um, <laughs> takes away from the horsepower. You understand what I'm talking about. So, and <clears throat> so anyways, the Lord kept putting to me. I went to my wife and I said, honey, you ain't going to believe this. The Lord's telling me to give my car away. Actually, not give it away. He told me to sell it and give the money to the pastor, give it to the church. In the church, I didn't even know what was going on in church. I knew it was God. And the Lord started teaching me to lose things that were so precious to me. And because um, the Lord was setting me up for something. I'll never forget, I sold the car. When the guy drove, I'm telling you the truth, my wife, even to this day, cannot understand this. When that car drove off, I cried. I cried. And I'm not a crier, you know, I mean, like, you know, I cried. And she's like, honey, it's a car. What's the problem? I mean, I, she was shocked. She actually came and gave me a hug. It's going to be okay, you know. And I cried, man, because you have to understand, for me, it was a very precious thing. And it wasn't my only car, but it was special. And I cried when it drove off the lot. And, you know, and... Um, I took the money, I'll never forget, I took the money and I put it in a briefcase. I don't even know why I did this, but I put it all in a briefcase. I can't even imagine in South Florida how this looked. But I called, I wasn't even thinking, man. I wasn't even thinking. I called the pastor and I said, Pastor, I got something for you. Could you come over to the business? He says, sure, Eric. So he comes over to the business and I'm on my way to some appointments. So this happens in the parking lot, right? So I said, Pastor, I just put it on the back of my car, you know. I popped the, the top open, and it's a briefcase full of money. And he's looking at me. I'm not even thinking cops, drugs, nothing, you know. I'm, and I was so, I mean, I just said, Pastor, the Lord put this on my heart. You know my Oldsmobile? He said, yeah. I said, listen, the Lord told me to sell it, and he'd give you the money. And I gave it to him, and he looked at me, and he said, Eric, Three other people, well, you and two other people, or a total of three people, did something almost exactly what you just had. And today, in the same day, this is the third time this has happened to me. And what you didn't know is if we wouldn't have had the money today, we were going to have to close the church. Now, a twofold thing happened here. One, that pastor was praying and had a, a great need. Amen? That God was going to speak to someone to fulfill it. And for me, 
he was dealing with me in the area of covetousness and greed. Of being, of, and, and, and I didn't realize it because as a Christian, you can love God and things can have you. And, and that's a thing you got to be really careful of. And that started happening in my life on a regular basis. God started talking to me, my wife. I remember my wife was working one day and she, we, we worked hard, man. We worked very hard for everything that we've ever got. I mean, we, you know, we weren't born with a silver spoon. We were born with a wooden spoon. My family didn't have no money, like I said. We, we, I work hard for everything I got. And I'll never forget my wife one day was saying to herself, she was trying to justify why we work so hard. And when she added up all the money she had on herself, just in an average daily wardrobe, it was $60,000. $60,000. From the ring, the bracelet. The, and when me, I'd go with my wife to the mall. We'd walk through Neiman uh, needless markups. I mean, Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Neiman Marcus. And I couldn't understand. We'd walk through and I'd hear, hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. That's my wife's name. Hi, Jennifer. I was like, how do you know all these people, Jennifer? I, how do you know these people? Then we'd go through Saks Fifth Avenue. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Makeup, counter, shoes, everything. I was like, how do you know all these people? Well, she was their best customer. And I never remember. My, my, the Lord started dealing with my wife about sewing things and 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 I want to just tell you this, and then I'm going to start to do something else. My wife really wanted a, a diamond tennis bracelet. Now, we were working very hard for our money. She really wanted one, and this was the early days of our marriage and business. And it was kind of like a fun thing. Every month, we'd go look at jewelry shops or whatever. We could never find one that we wanted. If you know anything about diamond tennis bracelets, they usually have the cheapest diamonds in them. They have the lowest quality diamonds in a tennis because the best quality diamonds will go in a ring. Okay, but anyways. So we kept looking and looking. Could never find the diamond tennis price that we wanted for. And you know, I love my mom. My wife works so hard. She's such a phenomenal lady. We worked side by side so hard. And I wanted to get her something nice. And for years, I wanted to get her a very, very nice tennis bracelet. It's just what I wanted to do. Well, finally, we flew to New York. I went to a diamond store in New York, flew there, and had the thing custom made with all VS1 diamonds in it, all the best, best high-quality diamonds, which is unheard of. So she put this whole 10-carat diamond tennis price. It was very, very expensive. And, and I was a member. I was a Christian, tithing, giving, everything. But the Lord was blessing me, and we were blessing others. And she wore this thing for you. I'm telling you, ladies, when that thing hit the light, you had to put sunglasses on throughout the whole place. That thing was nice. And I was so happy for her to wear it because to us, it, it represented something very special. It wasn't because of the money. I, I don't even know if, if I'm even doing a good job trying to explain this to you. It was something very special for us. And I wanted to bless her. And I was so happy when we found it. A couple years later, we were in a service. Jennifer found out about Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, and my wife became so hungry and desperate for God. My wife, if she puts her mind to something, you better just look out. I thank God for my wife. My wife found out about Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, went to one of the meetings. We had got prayed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. We both had never fell out under the power of God. And I know it's not about falling down, but when you're the only one not falling down, it's about falling down. <laughs> I mean, it's the cliche. Oh, it's not about falling down. And it's not, but it is when you aren't, okay? And 
You're like, hey, there's a whole line. There's 2,000 people under the power, and you're like, hey, you know, what about me, you know? <laughs> and uh, so my wife, we had got prayed for hundreds and hundreds of times, and nothing had ever happened to us. I mean, obviously the Lord, I'm trying to cover all my bases here, but the Lord did many great things, but we never fell out under the power of God. So we thought something was wrong with us, you know? So she heard about this guy named Dr. Rodney Howard Brown that moved in signs and wonders. And she goes, oh, man, I'd love to see something like that. So she books herself to go to one of his conferences. So she flies out, and I run the business. One night, I receive a phone call like at midnight. My wife is laughing hysterically on the phone, right? She's slurring her words. I can't understand a thing she's saying. And I say, oh, my gosh, my wife backslid. She's drunk. I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I said, you're drunk. She goes, I'm drunk. I'm drunk. And I'm like, you're drunk. She goes, I'm drunk. But she was drunk on the new one. I'd never seen nothing like that. I'm like, she goes, listen, the Lord touched me. Listen, when my wife went out under the power of God, Pastor Adonica prayed for her. They were doing three services a day at that time in Louisiana. My wife fell under, under the power in the morning. Kick, shake so violently, her shoes kicked off everything. She was on the floor for the morning service, the afternoon service, and the entire evening service. Remember, hundreds of times being prayed for, never went out under the power. First time ever touched by the power of God, eight hours on the floor. Eight hours. Gone. So when she calls me that night, it's after that happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get on a plane and get over there and see what's happening to my wife. So I book the next flight out. I fly out. Hey, Philip, get that clip ready. I've never played my own clip, but I'm going to do it now. I'm in this meeting, and Pat, one of my friends actually had recorded it on satellite. I didn't even know it till years later, and I actually have a clip of me in that meeting. And I, uh, I went to this meeting. I sat down over on the row. The first meeting I've ever been in of Pastor Rodney. I'm sitting there, and he's walking He's got real long hair at the time. You'll see him, and he's got real long hair down to here. And, and he's praying, and he's going, filled, filled, ushers, ushers, where's the usher? You know, all that stuff. And, and I'm there, in the power of God's all over me. I didn't even know what it was. I'm shaking, and he calls me out, and he says, fire, filled, or something like that. And, man, I just hit the deck. He didn't even lay hands on me. Remember, I've been praying for hundreds and hundreds of times. And I went out under the power of God. And from that time on, when we had an encounter with God... When God touches you, one touch can change your life forever. Who wants to see that little clip when this happened? This is 1996. Let's watch this. Come here, dear ladies. Turn the lights down. Go back down. over there. You two. Quickly go back over there. You two. Help them. Ushers, quickly, quickly. Ushers, this. Ushers, help. Bring them, put them in the line. Put them in the line. I'm right there Where in the, the blue. Ushers, lift your hands. Filled right now. Filled, filled, filled. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Filled. This is God's operating table. Come here, brother. Stand right here. The fire of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Come, lady, step right back over there. You That's too. it. Go right back over there. And 
Little did I know, like people say, what's the fruit? Little did I know that God would radically change our life. We started coming. Anyways, long story. We started going to meetings, started getting hungry, desperate. My, my, you know, in the early days of being a Christian, the first two or three years, we still drank. We loved Jesus with all our heart, but we'd have a casual drink here and there. We didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Just being real, telling you how things are. So, I mean, we weren't, I wasn't drinking a case of beer, but I mean, I would drink, you know, friends came over, i say, what do you drink? they say this, and we'd drink, and it was no big deal. We loved Jesus. But then my wife reads a Catherine Coleman book, and one night, she just reading a Catherine Coleman book, woke up the next day. No preacher, nobody saying, you're a sinner, going to hell, you know, none of that. She got up, and she said, honey, we need to pour all the alcohol out. I said, yeah, we do. We took all the bottles in the house, poured everything out. We've never had a drink since. It was the Holy Ghost just dealing with us, cleaning us up. The Holy Spirit's so phenomenal. Nobody said anything to us. And then the Lord started dealing with us. My wife started sewing things, jewelry and different things, and I'll never forget, and this is what I'm getting to. And we had a lifestyle of giving. And the Lord started stripping things away from us. Not because He didn't want to bless us, because my whole life had been built around things. My whole life, even though I love Jesus, I really worked hard to get nice stuff. And God was really not first place in my life. Even though I tithe and gave, believe it or not, He wasn't. You want me to tell you how you know if God's first place in your life? When God touches something, your treasure, and it reveals your heart, and He says, give that or do that, and you don't. God does not take first place. And I can talk boldly about these things because I've lived this. And I'm nobody, and He's everything. But God does touch your treasure to reveal your heart. I'll tell you that right now. It's a fact. I guarantee it, Louisiana style. God touches your treasure to reveal your heart. And that's where if you're faithful with a little, you become ruler over much. If you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will trust you with the true riches, which is the anointing? Money is the least. It's not the most. It's the least. One day I was in a service just like this. My wife comes to the service with a, a package, a little brown package all wrapped up nice and had a bow on it. And I'm like, you know, maybe she's going to give somebody something. And she says, honey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, uh-oh. She goes, I really feel led to give this. And it was her tennis bracelet. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it wasn't the value. It wasn't the money. It's just I tried to paint a picture of how special this thing was for many years of just looking for this thing. And I was like, honey, that's not God. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I did. I did. I guarantee you I said it. I said, hey, that ain't God. And then she pulled what she pulled. She's pulled a thousand times since then. She goes, why don't you just pray about it and see what the Lord says? Oh, my gosh. I, she pulled the old praying thing out, you know. She goes, no, if it's not God, it's not God. But would you at least pray and ask the Lord if it's God? I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, I hope, I hope it's not God. You know, I mean, I'm being honest with you. I mean, because I still had areas of my life God was dealing with me on. And I know this isn't taught a lot and people can have a weird idea and from an evil heart judge us all a different way, but this is my story and this is what happened to me. So this is it. And I prayed. I said, Lord, 
Lord, you know I don't want to give that thing, but Lord, if you require it, you know, do you want us to give it? And boom, the peace of God hit me. And I said, oh, Jesus, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> uh, it was the inner witness. It was the peace. I knew it was God. And in my head, I could have overrided it. I could have overrided it. But I listened to my heart. And the Lord, plus the Lord had taught me with my car and many other things. I said, okay, honey. And little did we know when we gave that that day, we cried. When we gave that, we cried. It was our alabaster box. Like my car, it was an alabaster box. We cried our eyes out, not because we wouldn't have the tennis bracelet anymore, but because we gave the Lord something that was so precious to us and so costly to something so the best. It would have been the most prized possession we had because of the history of the thing. And we gave the Lord the best we had, and we cried our eyes out. Now listen to this. When we gave it, little did we know that an altar call would be given that night for people called into the ministry. And when the altar call was given, the Lord spoke to me and my wife to answer the altar call. Me and my wife got called in the ministry over an act of giving. Giving gets God's attention because where your treasure is, there's your heart. God touched our treasure and he did it over and over again. It got bigger and bigger, finally to a point where he I really believe the Lord said, okay, I can trust these guys. And, and, and we answered the altar call. Knees having fellowship one with the other, scared to death. Like you talk about questions. What am I going to do with my business? I got a hundred people working for me. I got overhead. You know, even though I, own, I had a lot of money, I still had mortgages and bills and stuff, you know. I mean, my head was going crazy, but my heart was, yes, yes, yes. We answered the altar call. And, for, and Bible school wasn't for a while then. And we, I kept, I'll be honest with you, I answered it, but I kept pushing it away. Because my head kept overruling it like, this can't be God. If God was going to call you in the ministry, he'd have called you after high school. I mean, you wouldn't be in business and have all of this stuff. I mean, God, it doesn't make sense, God. I would argue with God. God, this can't be you. I mean, I, how, what, how do you justify? What, what about these people that I pay every week that have worked for me for years? What's going to happen to them? You know, this is how I talk to God. How many people know God's their source? And I went to another meeting, one more meeting, summer camp meeting in Tampa, 96. And I was in the meeting. And, and, and in between the services, I went to my room. And the Lord was so dealing with me, my hotel room. The Lord was so dealing with me with the call of God that I thought I'd write God a letter. Now, I've never, I don't write letters. Even when I was in the Navy, my mom would get mad at me. You will write me no letters, you know? And I wrote God 10, re I wrote the reasons why, and I even titled it, Impossible Reasons to Go to Bible School. My wife's sleeping in between the services, and I write, overhead, 30,000 personally. You know, and I'm going down everything. This, this, so I write this whole list. I tell you the truth, amazing thing happened. When I finished the last point, and I was like reminding God that these are impossible situations because he must have forgot, <laughs> right? So I finished the list. True story. No praise and worship playing, no tape in the background. I'm not praying in tongues and travailing. Didn't come off a 40-day fast. Minding my own business. A wind, like a wind comes and knocks me off my chair. I fall in the floor. The paper falls in the floor. I start crying uncontrollably, not from here, from here. Uncontrollably, so much so, 
tears, snot, spit, the whole works. The carpet was brown in the hotel. A two-foot circle was soaking wet from bitterly crying. And the ink on the paper got smeared because there was so much tears and everything on it. Then this happened. The word impossible came up off the paper. I mean, this, I've never seen anything like this. At the, it came off the piece of paper. I watched it come up. It got really big in front of me, just the word impossible. Because remember, I put impossible reasons to go to Bible school. And the word impossible got really big. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I can't believe this is happening to me. And immediately the word impossible disappears. And the minute it disappeared, I went immediately from crying uncontrollably to uncontrollable joy. I started laughing uncontrollably. And I felt as if God himself was laughing through me saying, Eric, that's the funniest thing I ever seen. You don't think I can't move those little teeny things on that piece of paper? Come on, Eric, that is hilarious. And I was laughing uncontrollably. I'm going to tell you, for about 15, 20 minutes, I got up. That was it. I went to the service that night. I had a peace in my heart. My head's going crazy. I walked in the service that night. Offering time. I had a ring like this one. A very, very nice diamond ring. A very nice diamond ring. It's just, you know, being in business, you know, you've got to look the part so people will want to be successful. I mean, it's just the way it is. So I had this beautiful ring, and, and we were sewing radically during this camp meeting. We were sewing in every service. And then that night, I gave the biggest offering I've ever given. And it wasn't the ring. That's, that's nothing. But I remember the offering envelope came and my wife's sitting there and I'm looking at the offering envelope. And I take my ring off because I'd given everything I had at that time as far as money and stuff. And I put the ring in the offering envelope. And I took a pen and I wrote on the offering envelope. I said, Lord, I give the best gift that I have. I give me and my wife in our talents and in abilities to you for the service of the kingdom of God. I gave myself in the offering. I gave me and my wife. The greatest thing that I felt we had wasn't any possessions. It was us. And I put my ring in there and I sealed it up and I looked at my wife. I said, we're going into ministry. It's the biggest offering I've ever given. Went back to my business, called an emergency meeting, had everybody show up. I got up, had Jewish people working for me, everything got up, told them what happened, told them what God did, said I'm leaving, and gave an altar call, and about a third of the place came forward and got saved, including the Jewish people. Fire God hit the place. Fire God hit the place. And within six weeks, our house, our beautiful house, we opened it up and had people come take whatever they want. Everything. Paintings off the wall, china out of the china cabinets, everything. We gave everything away. With joy. With joy. Not, not crying our eyes out, there goes my china. I mean, uh, uh, it was God. It was so awesome. We gave it all away. Everything. My wife had pants that cost 800 bucks. 
just for a pair of pants. Everything gone. Took it right off the wall. And believe me, people were very happy to get it. <laughs> and we ain't talking about stuff at Kmart. We're talking about nice stuff, people. Everything gone. Gave everything away, sold you know, what we could, everything, and the money we got for it, gave it. Left everything, and I'm give Jesus all the glory. And you could only do that if the Lord did that. And we left everything and went to Bible school, and I showed up in Bible school. Nobody knew who we were. Nobody knew the story. And we showed up in Bible school, and we're happier than we could ever be. And it was in a consecration service where we just gave the Lord everything. And then to, to close this out, I got in charge of the chair ministry. My job was to pick the chairs up and set them up like this. It was a lot like this. 200 Bible school students. Every service we'd have to, because we were still doing construction, my job was to set the chairs up and take them down. My wife's job was to take care of the pulpit. And we did the best we could. And I'll be honest with you, when I did the chairs, I, I, man, I was the happiest guy in the world. The chairs were perfect, ran a line on them. My wife, we scrubbed the pulpit, did the flowers with excellence. We just, and it was an honor. And I'd always say, Lord, I'm faithful in a little. You'll make me rule over much. It was an honor and a privilege to do what we did. We did it out of joy. We didn't do it because the church needed somebody to help them. We, we loved God. We, it was such a privilege and an honor to do it. And then, about, and then I became the head usher of the church, never ushered a day in my life, started running the whole helps ministry, everything. Pastor Ronnie didn't even really know who we were because, you know, it's a big church and he's out on the road all the time. And then one day, the Lord speaks to my wife and says, you, Pastor Ronnie's going to hire you guys and you're going to travel around the world with them. We went out and bought all the suitcases. We packed them. And for three months, every day we came home from Bible school, all of our suitcases were backed. We had our passports, everything. We were ready to go. True story. Then one day, Pastor Ronnie walks off the platform and says, Eric, where's your wife? I said, she's over at the book table. He said, get her. I got to talk to you guys. Right off the platform, right during praise and worship, pulls aside. He says, I want you to pray about something. I said, yes, sir. He said, I want you and your wife to pray about traveling with me. And I said, man, I tell you, I said, sir, with all due respect, I said, I really don't need to pray about it because we've had our suitcases packed for three months. He said, listen to me, Eric, you don't have a clue what you're about to get into. Trust me when I tell you this. And I didn't have a clue. And he, he said, you better pray. I said, yes, sir, I'll pray. Well, a couple days later, he came up to us and he said, did you pray? I said, oh, yes, sir, we prayed. He said, so what's it going to be? I said, we're ready. The very next day we were on a plane and never looked back. And that's how we got in the ministry. Isn't that awesome? Nothing awful. So you might be facing an impossible situation in your family, your life, your kids. You might be facing a financial situation. You might be going through things nobody can understand, but God knows. We gave everything to follow Jesus. And in, 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 in 94% of the church can't even tithe. Now I'm going to read a couple scriptures and then I'm going to pray for some people. But these are, these are scriptures not read anymore. I don't hear these things preached. But I'm going to read two sets of scriptures to you right now. And I believe the Lord's dealing with people. You know, unless a seed go to fall to the ground and die, it will not be quickened. Anything that you have that has you needs to go. It needs to go. 
And this is what's holding the church back. Mark 10, 27 through 30. Jesus just got done touch, talking to the rich young ruler, and he said, and Jesus looking upon them said, with men it's impossible, with God all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, because he told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and follow me. Because the rich young ruler, listen, the rich young ruler said, I've kept all the commandments. I mean, he was trying to justify himself. I'm some spiritual hotshot. I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't do this. I'm, I've done it since my youth. Because he said, how must I receive eternal life? Then Jesus went straight to the root of the matter. Went right to the problem area. Guy was rich. He loved money. Went straight to it. Say, give all you have to the poor and follow me. Let me tell you, what does the anointing cost? Everything. Everything. You can't buy the anointing if you have a billion dollars in here and throw it in. and You ain't going to buy the anointing. But it's a consecration of an entire life. And everything. That's what it is. You know how many people in the ministry ain't even called in the ministry? Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you a job. The ministry is holy. It's a holy thing. It's a calling, a godly calling. And Peter began to say, Lo, I've left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children's lands, with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You want to get ahead? Become the last. You want to get ahead? Become a servant. Serve. Jesus left heaven to come to earth, not to be served, but to serve. This is the key to your victory, people. Humble yourself. You don't want God to humble you. You want to humble yourself. Whoever's last shall be first. Now, I'm not saying hooray for me, but you guys see, I get up and preach and have a fun time, and I'll catch, and I'll stack chairs. I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever the Lord tells me to do. And I'm not saying hooray for me. Trust me when I say that. I'll do whatever. If it affects the kingdom of God, we'll pick up paper. We'll do whatever it takes. And that's the heart attitude that God wants everybody to have. And look, I'm a work in progress. I got areas the Lord's dealing with me on. I ain't never arrived. I'm going from glory to glory. But, but all of it, these are areas the Lord's dealing with you. Now, Luke 9, 59 and a couple, and through 62. And he said unto another, follow me. Talk to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And the, and, but, but he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but go and preach the kingdom of God. And another, he said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go bid farewell. I mean, doesn't that sound right? I mean, my dad just died. Let me go bury him. I mean, you talk about religion. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. He'd have got kicked out of almost every church in America if he pulled that one. Talk about church growth. Church growth 101 breaks every rule in the handbook. And another, he said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid, farewell, bid them farewell, which are at my home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. These are words of Jesus, people. And, and, then, and then the famous verse, Luke 10, 1, And after these things the Lord appointed to 70 also. He was trying to recruit people. He said, Follow me, the rich young ruler. I, I, I do not have scripture for this, and I'm just throwing a what if out. So I'm not saying this is scripture. When Judas betrayed Jesus, 
And Jesus, just like he called Peter and Mark and James and all of them, he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Right? That's what he did. Matthew, the tax collector, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter and the Zebedee brothers, James and John, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What did he tell this guy? Follow me. He told this rich young ruler, follow me. God couldn't do it. He went away sad, indignant, and depressed is what the Amplified says. What if he was going to be Judas's replacement? I'm just throwing a what if out. The guy was talented. He was very smart in business. He understood money. He understood economic things. Who would have known what God would have done with that guy if he'd have followed him? Who knows? But he touched his treasure. This is like a consecration service right now, people. The Lord's dealing with people's hearts. What is the Lord telling you? There's people here, you got a call of God on your life, you never followed it. You justified it because you've been to college and you've had an education and you wonder what God is doing or you justified it because you're too old, too young, too many kids, not enough kids, whatever. You're running from the call of God on your life. You're hiding from God. There's others in here. The Lord has tried. The Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants to bless you financially. The Lord wants to prosper you. But you, you're, you have a problem with covetousness. You have a problem with greed. And the Lord always talks to you, do this, give this, do this, but you've, you don't even listen to that voice. You just push it away, push it away, justify it. Well, God, you know what I got coming up and all this other stuff. You've got to strip these things away. You have to, you have to consecrate every area of your life. It ain't just about repenting because you made a mistake and say, oh, God, please forgive me. I lied and I shouldn't have lied. And, I mean, there's a whole consecration to every area of your life. And that's what, this is, that's what the Lord is doing right now. I know this is a little bit different of a service. I'm going to pray for people. Things are going to change pretty quick here. But God is dealing with people's hearts. And in the area of money, you know, I teach boldly on finances because I believe the Word of God. Now, mind you, since I left everything, I have a house now. I have a nice house now. I have a nice car. My wife has a very nice car. We have furniture in our house that's very nice. All of this jewelry I have was given to me. This ring, which everybody seems to always want to comment on for some reason, um, and everybody looks at, and, and you want to know what? It's just like Joseph's coat. I had a guy, I had, actually it was Pastor Rodney, took this ring off of his hand and he has a matching one after we came back from Soweto and gave our life on the mission field and spent two and a half months in one of the deadliest cities in the world. And he said, I, the Lord told me to do something. He said, you're a soul winner. And this is a soul winner's ring. And so that you know that the Lord is always with you. And there's a lot more I don't need to tell you. It's very private. He took it and he blessed us with it. And he gave it to us. I've had more comments about this ring from Christians, from, oh, the Lord's dealing with you to give it, to, oh, I've been believing God for a ring like that, or how can you be a man of God and wear a ring like that when it could feed 200 poor people? I've heard it all. But I don't wear the ring and the stuff out of arrogance. I wear it out of this bracelet was given to me. This watch was given to me. I give them away. They come back. I'm not going to apologize for the blessings. I will not apologize for the blessings of God. What about a car? I have, for the muscle car people here, I kind of updated a little bit. I have a 97 twin turbo, well, it's a single turbo Toyota Supra with 785 horsepower now. 
708, because if you want to pass a car on the highway, you want to do it legally and quickly. You don't want to get stuck behind a big car, you know, a big truck, get in trouble, you know. And someone says, what about that car? That car's worth a lot of money. It's very fixed up. It's got a lot of money put into it. And you know what? If God required that, I'd give it to him. But you know how I got that car? It was given to me. That car was giving to me. Because I gave one away. I also had another one of those and got rid of it when I went in the ministry. I had a black one. And I got rid of it when I went in the ministry. God gave me another one. It's how the, it's, it's just, look, it's a lifestyle. When thing, listen, when you don't need, when you don't desire things, things will come to you. When you don't put all of your attention on things, that's when things come to you. The Lord told Pastor Rodney, you know, when you don't really desire anything, then I'll give you everything. I, we don't, you don't go to your whole prayer life isn't gimme, 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 my name's Jimmy. You seek first the kingdom of God and God knows you have needs of these things and he'll bring these things to you. But can God trust you in that area? Can he trust you in finances? What's the Lord speaking to people about? You know what? Yes, we have great needs in the ministry. Yes, we pay $150,000 for these soul winning crusades. Yes, we never have no money in the natural to do them. Yes, we need multimillionaires and people that are entrepreneurial that have large money to put large things in to pay for things. Absolutely. We need people to do $10, $20, $50, whatever the Lord tells them to do. But ultimately, what this is about right here, this is about you. I have never... This is the truth. I was praying. I knew I was doing the last service here. And I started the first one off. I mean, I had a message on revival like I did the first night on the anointing, everything. And I couldn't get away from this. The Lord told and I have, I have, I can't remember ever when I've shared my testimony in its completion from, with the back end part. I usually never tell anybody that we gave everything away to come in the ministry. I usually get up to the part where I was healed of AIDS and everybody gets excited. I very rarely have ever, maybe only two times since I've been in the ministry that I know of preaching where I've went through the whole thing. And I really felt the Lord had me share this here tonight. And this is about you. And this is about you consecrating every area of your life to the Lord. And this is about the Lord touching your treasure to reveal your heart. And this is about you. I got call, people, I got, called in the, I got called in the ministry over an offering. And I gave the best I had which was me and my wife and our talents and abilities. And do you want to know what? All those drunken days I had and all those wild days and all those business things that I learned, while I was even unsaved, God was training me for the ministry. And that's the grace of God. And that's a, almost all the talents and abilities that we had coming from direct sales, God has used us in the area of winning souls. So God was just setting us up for this whole thing. And I believe I'm the least likely. I'm like Paul. I, I don't want to even compare myself to Paul, but I was chief sinner. Least likely person for God to ever use was me. Guarantee. So there's hope for everybody. There's hope for your kids. I've been married 17 years now. We have a three-year, three-year-old son and an eight-month-old daughter. They've been on the road. My, my son, until just recently, thought he lived in Phoenix, Arizona because we lived here for two months. 
You ask my son, where do you live? He'd say, Phoenix, Arizona. My son thinks he's from Phoenix, Arizona. He doesn't even know we live in Tampa, Florida. He's a Cardinal fan. That's what Pastor said right on the front row. So my kids, my son was in eight countries of the world before he was ever born. When we were in Africa, in the townships of Africa, my wife strapped him on her just like the African ladies do. And we went everywhere with our son just strapped on us. I remember in the African, this is funny, in the African village, the first time, because he has real blonde hair, he had one of those caps on because it was cold. People don't even know it gets cold in Africa, but it was cold. And we were in a meeting, and I pulled his hat off. And when he was young, all of his hair stuck up. So all this blonde hair just shot straight up. And there was about 500 people there, and all the Africans went, whoa. You know, because it's just, just, you know, you'd have to have been there. It was just a pretty wild, a wild thing to see. It was really pretty cool. And, uh, and then, because we were with, uh, and, I, and I can't do it like Pastor Gil, we were with Koza, Koza people. They click. The Koza people click with their language. You know, everything is, they'll just be talking, you know, and they click when they talk. Well, my son learned how to click when he was a baby. So my son, when he started to learn English, he would start to, you know, just barely start to talk, and he would click. And we were always with Af- black, you know, black African people. So when we came back to America, whenever he saw African American, he always went. <laughs> he'd always click. It was so funny. Whenever he saw an African American, he'd always, he'd be clicking. It was just, it's just funny stuff, you know. <laughs> but I'm gonna pray for some people. But before I do, look. We're going to give you an opportunity to sow seed. And I shared something very personal, you know, with you. And I opened my heart and be, just let you guys know everything. And, you know, that's, I, I really believe after this week, especially at 13 meetings, you know, hopefully people will understand why we do what we do and why we say what we say. And Pastor Ronnie is the biggest giver I know. He gives away the offerings all the time. He does, he does the craziest. He is the biggest giver I know on planet Earth. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I know of nobody more. He is so generous. Sometimes you want to crawl under the table. He is so generous. He, he is a giver. I mean, the guy is a giver beyond belief that most people could ever understand. That's his lifestyle, and that's, that's the lifestyle as Christians we need to live. So ask the Lord what you need to do. If you have any problems with things, covetousness, anything, you know, you've got to be real with God. You need to ask the Lord what he would have you do and do what the Lord tells you to do. The Lord could ask you to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. You need to do whatever God tells you to do. And this is about you going to the next level in your breakthrough, in your consecration. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for each and every person right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I know you're dealing with people. I I see you're, you're touching people all over the place. I know you're dealing with people. Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord, whatever's holding people back, Father, just reveal it to them. And, and by your grace and mercy, thank you, Lord, that they'll deal with it. Speak to their hearts. Tell them what they need to do, what they need to give what they need to do with their life. In Jesus' name, speak to them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead and hand out the offering envelopes. Listen, this is holy. I don't, I don't look, this is worship. This, this offering to the Lord is worship. 
If you'll take it the same way that I just shared it, then God's going to perform a miracle in your life. Ask the Lord what you're supposed to do. Maybe the Lord's speaking to someone to do something substantial. You know what? Maybe the Lord's speaking to you to do $1,000. You never did it before, and that would push you out into this arena. Then do it. If the Lord doesn't tell you to do it, don't do it. But if he does, do it. The Lord could be speaking to a businessman to do $10,000 or twenty dollars or pay for the thing. Do it. The Lord could be speaking to someone to do 100 bucks and you've only done five. And you've never given 100 in your life. Well, do it. Do whatever the Lord tells you to. And I'm going to pray for some people. Make your checks out to RMI. You can also give by way of debit or credit card. If you need an envelope, raise your hand. I'll tell you, the Lord's dealing with people. I guarantee it. I know by the Spirit of God. Listen, if you're greedy, the only way you can bust that spirit is to give. I'm just going to tell you, if you're always holding on to things and greedy, there's only one. You can have hands laid onto you till you go bald. I'll just tell you right now, the only way to deal with that spirit is to give. It's a lifestyle. You have to give. It's the only way to break the spirit of poverty and greed. It's, it's the only way. There is no other way. No miracle person is going to come up and just pray for you and immediately nothing means anything to you. It's a process and you have to bust it by operating in the exact opposite spirit. It's the only way I know. And I can honestly tell you before the Lord, if the Lord requires anything of me and my wife, we'll give it. Because we've done it before. And we'll do it again. If the Lord requires it, I'll give it. I don't have any problem with it because the Lord will give me something else and I ain't even worried about it. If I was worried about it, I wouldn't spend seven weeks in a whole year at my house and stay on the road. Do you know how tough it is on the road you, with kids? My kids grow up in... It's just unbelievable. It's very difficult in the natural, but the grace is there for it. The grace is there for it or you couldn't do it. But anything, the Lord will get it back. I don't even worry about it. Amen? I don't know what else to say, but this is an area you're going to have to tackle to go to the next level. It's a fact. And don't dig your seed up like when I talked about Pastor Ronnie digging the peanuts up. Once you sow a seed and you do what the Lord tells you and the anointing is there, don't you ever open that trap underneath your nose and speak any doubt or unbelief out of your mouth and dig your seed up. You better just leave it there. Maybe you don't understand everything and maybe you don't understand the timing of God, but don't dig it up with doubt and unbelief. Just praise Him. Just praise Him and believe Him and it'll come to pass. You know, the car I sewed, I didn't get the other one until years later. This, the ring I sewed, I didn't even sew the ring to get another ring. Never in my mind did it ever cross me that, okay, Lord, I'm giving you this ring. I want a five-carat ring. I never did that. I did it because the Lord told me to do it. I'm not saying if you sow a ring, you won't reap a ring. That's obviously whatever you sow, you shall reap. Absolutely. But my motive, my motive wasn't that. The heart motive wasn't that. Does everybody understand where I'm coming from on this? It was, Lord, I love you like the woman with the alabaster box. I love you this much. I give you the best I have. It was like Cornelius, you're giving, your alms, you're praying and your giving has come up as a memorial before God. When God picked the very first Gentile to receive salvation, he picked a giver because he knew he could trust them. Giving gets God's attention. And you can't buy it. So always got to throw that out for people that might think a different way.
It's a heart thing. It's a consecration thing. Hallelujah. Anybody else need an envelope? You can also become a partner if you want at the top. Let me get this moved up here, guys, real quick. And then we're going to do something else. And then I believe that this consecration service is a great way to close because you know what's happening is the Holy Spirit's dealing with many, many different areas in people's lives right now. All different across the board. And this is the key to 2009, people. There's that saying... If you continue to do the same thing as you've always done, you continue to get the same results. You can't do the same thing over and over and over again and wait for something new. There has to be an adjustment. There has to be something that changes. And you have to be open and willing enough to look in the mirror and say, maybe it's me. And maybe it's not really my wife or my pastor or my boss that cusses like a sailor. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some areas i got to deal with. And revival is about change. And God always goes to the place you don't want anybody to know or touch. Always. Always. Oh, Lord, don't go there. Oh, that's where he's going to go. Everybody ready to give? Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Is there any hype here in this offering? No hype? Do what the Lord tells you to do. That's it? It's the Lord? Amen? Ushers, go ahead and receive the offering. Give with a glad heart. Please pray for Pastor Rodney and Adonica. He flew back. He's got church in the morning. And, and please pray for us and the team. And we pray for you. You guys are awesome, man. You know, there's been a lot of people that have plugged in this week here. A lot of people have been in a lot of meetings here. And you've really plugged in. And God knows. And that doesn't mean if you came one night, God's not going to do something. But God has really been working on a lot of people here. I believe that we'll hear testimonies coming out of this campaign. Look, this is our first one. You guys that have been in the meetings know we're usually in a lot bigger places, have a lot more people. But the Lord said, come here. He said, come to the rock. If we came just for Pastor Dale and Darla in this church, I mean, obviously, I know we came for a lot of other people. But the Lord said, come. And Pastor Ronnie, will, he goes up with the Eskimos. He goes with the Aboriginal people. We'll go wherever the Lord tells us to go. Amen? Don't have to be somewhere just to get a big picture. You go where the Lord tells you to go. Amen? I want everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to tell you the Lord's dealing with people big time here. And I believe the Lord is dealing with you about putting everything on the altar. A full consecration. Let me, if, let me ask you this. If you're in here and you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? First thing you have to deal with is that. If you in here and you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven, today is the day of salvation. You need to consecrate and put your life on the altar. But then secondly, look, there's a lot of Christians in here. You guys love the Lord, but even when I was preaching, you realized I'm not on fire for God like I used to be. I even have areas in my life. I'm dealing with things and doing things I never would have done in the early days as a Christian. I talk about people, I gossip. You know, I even check out a little pornography every now and then. I, 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 you know, I entertain lust. I'm greedy. I'm covet. I have covetousness in my life. And I'm talking about being real with God now and love Jesus and love Jesus. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I drank and loved Jesus in the early days. But the Lord dealt with me. 
And the Lord's dealing with people. It's time to come back to your first love, people. It's time to put it all on the altar. You want it all to change? You want this year to be a better year? Then if the Lord is dealing with you about areas in your life, you need to put it on the altar. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord afresh. And I'm even talking to preachers. Do it. And I tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's others in here, that the devil's always lying to you and telling you you're not saved. Listen, with no hesitation, if that's you and you fit into any one of these three categories, get up right now and run down to the front in the name of Jesus. Put it on the altar. Come. Come to Jesus. The Lord's talking to many people here. Come. Come. Come to Jesus. Pastor Gill, come to Jesus. Consecrate your life right now. If the Lord's dealing with you about these areas, come. 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 Many others in here, the Lord's dealing with you. You need to come right now. This is consecration. Come. The Lord is dealing with you. Come. If He's dealing with you about areas in your life, I tell you, it's half the place. I guarantee it. It's half the place. Get up and come down here. I don't need to know. God knows. You need to surrender all. You need to forsake all and follow Jesus. There's more. There's many more. Come. This is holy. This is holy. Come. Please come. Please. I don't beg, but I'll beg now. The Lord's dealing with you. If not now, when? Come. I hear the Lord saying pride. Man, you gotta let pride go. Pride always cares about what other people think. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. I'm going to add to this altar call. If the Lord is dealing with you, and I'm going to say a prayer for everybody. If the Lord is dealing with you about falling in love with Jesus all over again and consecrating your life, whether you need to be saved, rededicated or not, just that's already here. But if he's dealing with you about putting your all on the altar, and I'm, this is not a general call. This is you. You know it. The Lord is has been speaking to you about just putting every area of your life on the altar. I want you to come around right now too. Come, come. Just putting every area of your life. I'm telling you, the Lord's dealing with people. If I was in the audience, I'd answer the altar call. I'm telling you, I know by the Spirit of God. I'm not trying to get some big altar call. I'm not trying to do nothing. I'm following the Lord. 
Like, why would I care about that? I care about it because it's people, but this is God. You got to put it all on the altar. You got to forsake all and follow Jesus. And that means give him every area of your life. Hallelujah. I tell you, the Lord is touching people. I know this is a different service. I understand that. But this is what the Lord said do. So this is what we do. Many of you guys called in the full-time ministry. What's the problem? It's always going to be a step of faith. And I'm going to say this to people. Serve in your local church in the helps ministry and do it with a joy. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire. Do whatever it takes. Every single person should not leave it up to the faithful three. Every person should be involved in the helps ministry, even if it's only once a month in the local church. You really need to do that. You need to serve. You need to serve. Go to your pastor and shock him and say, I'd love to be able to do something. And it doesn't have to be every Sunday. You can be with your family once a month. You could be a greeter, an usher, whatever, a counselor, whatever. Just once a month. You don't have to do it all the time. But you need to serve. You need to serve. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want everybody... Well, you can stay like you are. You don't need to look at me. I'm going to say one prayer. I want everybody to say it here, including everybody on the floor. I want everybody just to close your eyes and lift your hand and say this prayer. Say, Lord, I give you every area of my life. You can have it, Lord. I believe Jesus died on the cross. For me, I believe Jesus is risen from the dead for me. I repent and I'm sorry for anything I've said or done against your word, knowingly or unknowingly. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died and was resurrected three days later and he sits at the right hand of the Father. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life, of every area of my life, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm free. And I'm free. And I've given you every area In Jesus' name, amen. I want everybody to look at me now. You might have came up in tears, and you might have sowed in tears, but you're going to reap in joy. You might have sowed in tears, and you know, I'm going to tell you, it's done, brother. What do you do for a living? Auto collision technician, preacher. You got to call a God in your life, man. And you know it. You know you got a call God on your life? Anybody ever told you that before? Yeah, as a while back. Preacher, man of God, come up here. Let me pray for you.
You know, the devil sidetracks people. You got to understand that. Lift your hands, close your eyes. Lord, whatever anointing you've put on my life, put the same on him in Jesus' name. Jesus, preach, preach, preach. Jesus, put it on him, Lord. Preach. You got a message in your heart, brother. You got a word. The world needs to hear. Devil tried to take you out so many times, but you're still standing. You're still here. Man, I've wanted to quit the ministry five million times since I've been in the ministry. I quit every week and rehire myself. I run into religion and tradition. All these churches don't want to win souls. All these Pharisees, Sadducees, wouldn't sees and couldn't sees, they almost take me out every week. But for the, to, but for the kingdom of God, I just keep going. Pastor Rodney too, same way. Pastor Gill. Listen, the devil always tries to sidetrack everybody. Well, if this wouldn't have happened, you know, I would have been this. If this per, Forget about it. Today's a new day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, God's doing some great things here, people. Now, here's what we're going to do to close this thing out. And I know some people in here are going to think, this is kind of a crazy turn. I don't know about this, Brother Eric. Well, just trust me. I want everybody here to stand up. I want everybody to stand up out here. I want everybody to put your hand on your belly. <laughs> it's a bubbling. I'm going to pray right now. Listen, the time of crying is over. It's time to go forward. It's time to reap with joy. It's time to go out this place with a snap in your step, with a word in your heart, with the power of God that's infused you this whole 13 meetings to go out to a lost and dying world, to win the loss at any cost, to tell the devil to go to hell, to tell the devil, you ain't messing with me anymore. I will fulfill everything that the Lord's called me to do. I will finish the race. I will hear thou well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, even though I've had trials, even though I have tribulations. Jesus is Lord over my life, and I'm going out of this place changed after this week. I will not be the same. I give you every area of my life, Lord, and if you're going to use anybody, you're going to use me. Here I am reporting for duty. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a great shout of victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ha ha. Put your hand on your belly. Father, I just pray right now for the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. As we've entered in and we've, we've rev we have reverential fear for you, Lord, I just pray for a fresh touch, a strength, a joy on each and every person as they go out and face this year of 2009 that you give them the ability and the strength to do what you've called them to do. But Lord, we need to do it happy because we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I want you, as we get ready to sing, I just want you to do this because some people forgot. Say, ha, ha. Ha, ha. Ho, ho.
he, he. Then you put the, you like put the whole thing together. It's ha, ha, ho, ho, he, he. And, and then it gets going and then it's like starting an old engine and it comes. Let's sing, I want everybody, ha, 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 ho, ho, he, he, fill me. Father, I pray for the joy of the Lord on each and every person right now. Fill in Jesus' name. Ushers, you need to be on with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> joy. Ha <laughs> ha. Breathe, lady, breathe. <laughs> I'm Lord, breathe. Drink. Breathe, lady. Yes, I'm having a drink of the new wine. Joy! Joy! And I want to be totally The joy of the Lord is your strength. Ha ha! Jesus. It's bubbling. Jesus. It's singing. It's laughing. Jesus Folks don't Jesus joy. Jesus joy. Jesus. Jesus joy. It's bubbling, bubbling. Bubbling. Jesus joy. It's bubbling. It's Jesus. It's a bubbling in my soul. Jesus. It's singing. Since Jesus made me whole, ha ha, folks don't understand. Get out of your head, get into don't your heart, ha ha. Lift your hands, wide. lady. It's Boom. Bubbling, 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 ha ha. Ha ha. Lord, this is a big guy. He needs a big dose. Jesus. Ha ha. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Woo. Grab him. Phil! Oh my goodness. Ha ha. Yeah, it's wonderful. Come on, drink, drink, drink. We're gonna go to a lost and dying world. <laughs> this lady right Jesus. here. Hey, hey, how we doing over here? You doing good? You look like you're doing good. Lift your hands. I gotta pray for you too. You guys are some of the most faithful people I ever seen. Step out right here. Jesus. Come on, bubbling. Ha yeah. ha. Oh, come on with a bubble. Bubble. Oh, in Jesus. 